Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Slash and dash. Slash and then dash. Um, this story comes from Strange Cry Blogspot, and they've done a great tale of the witch of Staten Island. New York was top, so close enough. Yeah. You know, but can you touch them? Probs. <laughs> so I'm going to do this one. And I'm going to read it in my Key Stage 1 teaching voice. I'm no, I don't teach key, uh, key Stage 1 for anyone is um, age 7 and under, 5 to 7. I don't fuck with them. So, but Good. sometimes I do have to speak to them and I will do it like this. <clears throat> so, on Christmas night in 1843, the holiday peace in Staten Island, New York, was shattered by the sound of fire alarms. The home of sea captain George Houseman had erupted in flames. The head of the household was away on a fishing trip, but remaining in the home were his wife, Emmeline, and their baby daughter, Anne Eliza. George's sister, Mary Polly Houseman, lived across the street with her father and her teenage daughter, Eliza. In 1824, uh, Polly married Andrew Brodine, but the marriage quickly soured, and they had been separated for many years. When George was away, Polly would stay overnight with her sister-in-law to keep her company. This particular night, however, she was nowhere to be found. After the conflagration had been extinguished, some neighbours began investigating the damaged house. They quickly discovered a whole lot more than they had been bargaining for. The home had evidently been ransacked, with a number of valuables missing. Just thinking if it was my house, they'd be like, it's been ransacked! And I'd be like, no, no. This is where I keep things. No, no, this is tidy. On the floor, so I can see all my belongings at once. Yeah. <laughs> that was about, that wasn't a judgement on your house. That's my... <laughs> the truth. And in the fire-blackened house lay the remains of Emmeline and little Anne Eliza. Their skulls had been smashed, Emmeline's throat was cut, and a number of their bones were broken. The poor mangled remains were scarcely recognisable as human. It was believed they'd been killed the night before the blaze. This was not a tragic domestic accident, but a case of brutal murder followed by an attempt to cover the crime mm, with arson. That old chestnut doesn't work. Especially not the night after. The town, understandably, panicked. There was a fiend on the loose. Swiftly, the whispers grew about the presumed identity of the fiend. 
This small, interrelated... Does that mean they fucked each other? <laughs> Sounds like it. Small incestual. This small incestual community <laughs> had one suspect. The granddad they all shared. <laughs> Sorry. Not children of God. Sorry, they had one suspect, and one suspect only, for this unspeakably foul crime. The seemingly devoted sister-in-law, Polly Bodine. Really? Apparently. She... You went the house. You did it. <laughs> You know, you know, um, you did a murder. (laughs) Perhaps the greatest puzzle about this crime is the lack of any plausible motive. Yeah, Arves, why are you suspecting her then? (laughs) Why are they assuming? There's no possible motive for this woman to have done it. Mr. Her. (laughs) Um, Polly and Emmeline had always been friendly. The dead woman, and I hate it when they do that, say the dead woman. Yeah, that's... Just like she's still Emmeline. Yeah. Anyway, the dead woman and her husband had no enemies, and the amount of household goods that were missing scarcely explained such a ghastly double homicide. If I die now, like I have no enemies, but up till now you probably thought I didn't. If I die now, it was the previous owners of the house. <laughs> They're the ones that killed me. Can I just put that out, broadcast it, so that everyone knows to avenge my death? Because you opened that post. I didn't open it. I just binned it. <laughs> If it had a return address, I'd put it, sent it to the return address. <sighs> I'm not a bad person. Okay. Um, so, the amount of household goods that were missing scarcely explained such a ghastly double homicide. The prosecution, despite what would prove to be nearly three years of trying, was never able to present a case that was anything more than suggestive of the accused culpability. And yet, there was something about Polly Bodine that enabled so many who knew her to feel morally certain. Oh, fuck off. <laughs> She's just a bit annoying. Like, I am morally, morally certain is not just another term for I reckon. Yeah. That is absolutely Morally ridiculous. certain that she's the I'm. Man. I am absolutely certain that she cold-bloodedly butchered an innocent woman and her child. <laughs> yeah, you can't be certain of that just from looking at her. She's just the slightly weird one. This is like an Anne Boleyn situation. Like, oh, she's got an extra finger. You're a fucking hoe. Yeah. The local district attorney, Lot Clark, pieced together the events of the hours leading up to the double murder. On Christmas Eve morning, Polly left Emmeline's house to return to her father's residence. During that day, neighbours saw Emmeline in and around her house doing her usual chores. This proved to be the last time anyone definitely saw her alive. That evening, a woman who lived next door saw a woman she presumed was Emmeline exit her home. Soon afterwards, Polly's daughter Eliza went to see if Emmeline wanted anyone to spend the night. There was no answer. There's too many fucking people (laughs) for me to keep track of this. Polly's got a daughter and she wanted to stay over. And she explained later that she assumed Emmeline was spending Christmas in the home of her family, the Van Pelts. So they thought she wasn't in. Right. On Christmas morning, a cousin went to Emmeline's house on an errand. He repeatedly knocked on the door, but received no reply. Polly emerged from her father's house and told the boy that Emmeline had gone to the Van Pelts. She then walked off and boarded a stagecoach bound for the ferry that would take her into New York City. Polly's 16-year-old son, Albert, was the living apprentice to a Manhattan druggist, George Waite. She later claimed that she spent all of Christmas Day and night with her son and his employer. Mm. But 
Albert fucking snitched on her. Yeah. Didn't see your mum till 4pm. What are you chatting so about? So he was a druggist, so I assume he's got like access a pharmacist. to like, whatever he likes. Possibly. Maybe you did see your mum, maybe you just drugged her. Mm. On that same day, a number of items belonging to the housemans, who the fuck are you, were pawned <laughs> in various shops throughout the city. Is that the name of the people? God knows. Here it is. Whoops. <laughs> were pawned in the city. All these pawnbrokers later identified the woman who brought them these household goods was Polly Bodine. Oh. Emmeline's home was silent for the rest of Christmas Day. Around four in the afternoon, a neighbour riding by saw two strangers, a woman and a man in a Spanish cloak, standing in the houseman's yard. The Spanish are coming. <laughs> As he passed them, them or he's a wizard. Yeah. Oh, that's why they think she's a witch. Ah, Fucking muggles. Of a man in a cloak. Like always, no, stop persecuting the wizarding community. As he passed them, I got a magic wand off one of my kids for Christmas. Oh, it was really cute. That's As he passed them, the man left while the woman entered the house. The identity of these two people remains. Well, I'll fucking strike them from the record then. We don't know who they are. <laughs> yeah. The next report we have of Polly's movements is early on the morning of December 26th. A chambermaid on the Staten Island ferry saw her sitting quietly on the boat. Polly ordered a breakfast of pie and a glass of gin. <laughs> a breakfast of pie and a glass pie and of gin. gin. She's living her best life. That's what you will do if you've murdered people and you're like, right, this is the end. What's the one thing I need to be doing now? I'm going to go on a boat and I'm going to eat pie and gin. Like, For breakfast. That is what I would be doing. She's then <laughs> made you know a. the kitchen's like, yep, yeah, okay. Yeah, made a memorable impression on the waitress. I thought it marvelous that a woman would ask for gin. <laughs> yeah! Brilliant! Yeah. Good, good on you, girl. She was like pouring it in a glass, like, yeah, sister. It's like on the Guilty Feminist where uh, Deborah, is it Deborah Meaden? And she went to a, a cafe and she was like, I'm going to fucking order two cakes and I'm gonna, and the woman's going to come and I'm going to say, yes, they're both for me. And she did that as one of her challenges one week. It was quite good. <laughs> and the waitress was like, yeah, sister. It says here that even by modern day standards, the sight of pie and gin at 6 oh, 6 a.m. is early would be enough to daunt the stoutest heart. I mean, they obviously don't want to come for breakfast at my house. I'm not not so much the alcohol. One time, I had a glass of rosé at the side of my bed. Oh, shit, and, it was six a.m. Yeah, holy shit, that is early for pie and gin. I had a glass of rosé at the side of my bed and a glass of ribena, like fruit juice, and I've got the wrong one mistaken. That's the closest I've been to Did drinking. You carry in the on morning. drinking it. No. <laughs> at ten a.m. that morning, drunk off a fucking tit. <laughs> Polly was at Waits Drugstore when a houseman cousin, Freeman Smith, came to tell her of the murders. Polly, showing all the appropriate signs of shock and grief, immediately returned to him to Staten Island. Someone else had just arrived at the island as well. George, where was he for Christmas? You left your wife and kid? Like, where the fuck were you? He'll be back on Boxing Day. No thanks. He was greeted with the news that his wife and child... Maybe they were like, right, I'm teaching you a lesson. We're fucking off. And you, you're you going to leave us for Christmas. We're going to leave... So, I have a story about this. So, I was just talking to my friend last night. And he was saying that one of his male friends 
his, they all hate his wife. Huh? And I was like, why? And apparently what they'd done was they'd gone out and they checked this guy into Facebook as being in a strip club. Like he wasn't, but oh, they'd said that they were with him. Day. So his wife saw it on Facebook and was like, right, I'm leaving. Like just oh, took shit. the kids, got them out of bed, took the kids and left because he'd visited oh. a strip club and he hadn't even visited one. His friends had just checked him in as a joke. So she fucked up. So I think this is that. She was like, right, you're leaving us for Christmas. I'm going to fake our deaths. You're smoking a cigarette? You're going to smoke a whole pack of cigarettes. <laughs> While I watch. Um, so, so, he was greeted with the you, news. Yeah. Yes. Fine and though. after the coroner's inquest, Polly was arrested for murder. It was claimed that her motive for this terrible crime... Sorry? So basically all they've got on her at this point is she had pie and gin early. And, they, and then she freaked the fuck out when she was told they were dead. And that she lied about being with her son. Oh, right. She was still with him, but later. Yeah. Um, so it's claimed that her motive for this terrible crime was to steal the thousands of dollars George had given his wife before he left. The money was still in the outhouse where it had been hidden by Emmeline. So, nope. Polly was placed in the county jail alongside her son's employer, George Waite, the druggist, who was suspected of being her accessory. On January 6th, Polly gave birth... Oh, gosh. Sorry, I keep reading ahead and not telling people what it says. Polly gave birth to a stillborn child and Waite was the father. Don't tell me you know shit that he was the father. It was 1843. You did not have a DNA test happening at this time. Unless, yeah, didn't know. So, Polly went on trial in June 23rd, 1844. She was, to put it mildly, a controversial defendant... There was an immense and extremely acrimonious public interest in the case, with the citizenry hotly divided into she couldn't have done such a thing and she must have done it factions. And soon she got the name of the Witch of Staten Island. The wheels of justice did not turn smoothly during her trial. The Staten Island area was so interbred. Oh, it does mean interbred. Yep. That Polly and her alleged victims were related either by blood or marriage to virtually everyone in the proceedings, a circumstance that guaranteed that Polly would not get an objective hearing. That's like all the That's crazy. They're actually that interbred. That's. Everyone around is related. It must be small. Surely it's small. I'm going to Google Maps Staten Island after. How big are you? For some townspeople, blood ties trumped the blood spilled and the most notable example was george houseman who raised a good many eyebrows by declaring i can get another wife i can get another child i can never get another sister that is cold as fuck he's also very confident in his own dating however um polly accused her ex-lover george Waite for the murders so the fact that she's done that either one of them's involved or both of them are involved like she's still kind of involved yeah in such an emotionally charged atmosphere it was almost inevitable that polly's trial ended in a hung jury there was one holdout vote for innocent a juror who insisted that he could not vote for a conviction on circumstantial evidence unless there were four not one not two not three but four eyewitnesses oh the actual like I thought he was going to say four people to agree not oh eyewitnesses to the actual murder I want four people to have seen this he's never going to convict anyone so new um oh shit sorry 
It was prudently decided... Oh, sorry. New Yorkers enthusiastically appreciated the new show that had landed in their midst. P.T. Barnum's Broadway Museum installed a wax effigy of the witch in the act of butchering her niece and sister-in-law. This tasteful little display was immensely popular. Barnum depicted Polly as a wizened, evil-looking old hag. The real Mrs. Bodine, a handsome woman in her mid-thirties, was outraged by this insult. I mean, they're calling you a fucking murderer and a witch. I wouldn't... Her lawyers believed she was more disturbed by Barnum's slur of her personal attractions than by the murder accusations. She might, I might be a murderer, but I'm not ugly. So, to cut a rather long and not dashy story short, um, because of all of the unfair hearing, um, she had appeals, she had a retrial, and then at the retrial... Um, people that had testified at seeing her before and seen her pawning things now said that she hadn't. They couldn't say that it was definitely her. And she was um, let go. Oh. Totally acquitted. So she lived her life. She had lots more gin, lots more pie. Yeah, gin and pie for life. And so technically, those murders have remained unsolved ever since. We said we wouldn't do an unsolved. We were tricked! <laughs> Have a good Christmas, guys. Don't forget to leave us a cheeky review um, and enjoy all the food and drink that you're having. Bye! Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.